a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, hello, hello. Hello, my friend. Hi. What you guys drinking this week? I'm drinking a wonderful bottle of Pure Leaf Peach Hibiscus Caffeine-Free Tea. That's a good one. I like the peach hibiscus. Absolutely. Yeah, the peach is good. I like all of them, honestly. The mango hibiscus is good. The cherry hibiscus is good. But peach is my favorite. Mm, I mm -hmm. am a sucker for peaches. I get that. I made myself a refreshing Arnold Palmer this afternoon so i got some black tea but i made it with sparkling lemonade and it is delightful what about have a little sparkle in your day what kind of tea it's nothing fancy it's just regular like unsweetened black tea yeah i don't even know the brand of the tea it's just tea i like that we're like all feeling the summer vibe i also did a lemonade drink but i did half lemonade half az ipa and it is pretty good Wow. Wow. Okay. We really we really do have the summer vibe, don't we? Yeah. I Absolutely. think it's Hot Boy Summer already. We're enjoying- <laughs> Boy Summer. Yeah. It is delicious. Like it 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 I haven't done it before. I was just inspired. I knew I had good lemonade in the fridge. And it like cuts the harshness of an IPA. You know yeah. what I mean? The mm, super mm-hmm. hoppy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, That's a good excellent. one. Um, we do have a couple announcements before we get started. First of all, uh, shout out to Jenny, our newest patron, who bought our beow, drinks beow, this beow. week. Yes. Thank you, Jenny. Looking forward to getting to know you. Um, also, well, we've announced this on the last two episodes, but we are still working towards our new Patreon goal of 20 patrons, at which point we will start doing a form of Bible study. We're still like working out the details with our patrons of what we want that to look like, but we've already got some fun ideas rolling around. We absolutely do. do. Yeah. Uh, This week, I wanted to circle back to a topic that we have kind of teased going back to a couple times. I want to talk about cults again. Oh, yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. Okay. So if you haven't, if you're new to the show for some reason, we did a first episode called Is Your Dentist a Cult Leader? So if you haven't listened to that one, maybe go back and listen to that one first. But also, maybe not. It, do what you want. <laughs> Emily, I think I haven't. I obviously didn't tell you guys I wanted to talk about this. No, we're going. So, in Emily, cold. I might have to like lean on you a little bit for uh, some of your insights because you have also studied cults a little bit in college and seminary, if I remember yes. right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to come back to cults specifically because we last time we talked about it, we realized at the very end that we didn't even talk about some of the theology that comes about in these new religious movements, some of which is like amazing and like so out there sometimes. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should just start there. Like, I don't really have an end goal in mind, but I could talk about cults for a long time. So where should we start? Where should we begin? Do you you have any cults in mind, like specific new religious movements in mind? Um, Well, I was just... Reading about one last week. Did you hear that Mother God passed away? What? No. We probably what? should have announced it on the podcast. Yeah, Mother God. This um, is new to me. Oh. Well, it turns out she. Oh, I'm sorry. I I used the incorrect phrase. She ascended. She was found recently in uh, the home of their compound, and she had been mummified by her followers, and then kept in a mummy bag. Very fitting. And then wrapped in Christmas lights. And then her eye sockets were like replaced oh. with glitter. And they were like oh. admonishing her after her ascension. What the? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. I don't remember exactly where it happened, but I believe the name of the group is Love Has One. 
It's so similar to Love Wins. <laughs> yes, the group is Love Has Won. And the leader, for those of you who don't know who Mother God is, her name is Amy Carlson. Thank you. Um, she Yes, she was. She's also referred to as Mother God. Uh, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. And it was set in Colorado, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I think it was Colorado. That sounds mm-hmm. right. I guess what's so interesting to me about all of these cults, we kind of hinted about this in our last episode, that so many cults and new religious movements, A, take place in America in a very unique way, which I think is interesting, and B, they often incorporate so much like Christian language and or even like Christian tradition, like depending on how they came about. And I think that that's really difficult for a lot of people, whether they have been a part of a group or whether they know people from a group or whether they're just trying to like reconcile, like why isn't Christianity a cult? And like, how do you tell if something is a new religious movement that's trying to like do other things with ulterior motives or whether or not a group is hurting anybody? I think that things like that are really difficult for some people to wrestle with. I agree. Is it typically inside America that we see like the majority of new religious movements arise? I would say yes, but I don't have the numbers off the top of my my head. It does happen a little bit in Asia, but to be honest, those ones tend to be at least partly based in some Buddhist thought or Taoist or sometimes like a mixing of Christian and like Asian practices. Like, Mm, Like sometimes there's like ancestral themes involved or things like that. Sure. But I would say that the majority of the like Christian adjacent new religious movements tend to be in America for the most part. When do you think a group becomes Christian adjacent and they're not just trying to be like a Christian denomination? I think that's a really good question. Do you think Um, we can define that line? Because I've heard people speak of Bethel in Redding, California as more cult than denomination. hmm. And I know they always come up <laughs> among the three of us because we're very very interested but yeah that's a, I, I do think it's a good example not just because they are popular and most people know the reference but I would say that this might be more of a personal opinion than like a scientific one I consider a group to be more Christian adjacent rather than like falling under the umbrella of mainstream or historical Christianity when their beliefs are very clearly different in a major way. Uh, like, like, can you give an example? Like, for instance, if we use that definition, I don't think Bethel fits that description. Okay. I mean, you could talk about like the sociology of Bethel, but like for all intents and purposes, Bethel believes that Jesus is God's son and was crucified and uh, we believe in the Trinity and like all of these things. Like they have some charismatic and Pentecostal uh, sure. happenings there, but... For all intents and purposes, I don't see them as like trying to make a major change to a Christian belief. Like, I think that what is more common in a like what I would consider a more clear new religious movement is a group that tries to like exploit the character of Jesus in the Bible and like change some details about him, whether major or minor. Mormonism is a great example. Like, Mormons Mm. believe that Jesus came to America. When no other Christians believe that. But are Mormons a cult? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know the answer. I think that they toe the line, personally. Like, they're about uh, almost 200 years old. Like, they will reach 200 years old in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, they, they are becoming a new religion. Like, they have surpassed the new religious movement stage, and they're so institutionalized that I think that they should be considered more of an actual religion that's mm. Christian adjacent. Interesting. Where do you think a group like Westboro Baptist would land then? Oh, that's a great question. That's the group I'm fa- most fascinated by. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Like last episode, we talked a lot about how the term cult is often used as like a pejorative mm-hmm. in a way that like dismisses the group. Right. And almost implies that the group is abusive or harmful in some way. Mm -hmm. And while I do think that like Westboro Baptist can like clearly be linked to psychological and mental harm to people, I don't think it needs to be called a cult for us to acknowledge that it causes harm to people. 
Sure. Right? Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. But with that said, even though they have like very clear anti-gay and I believe some other kind of hot button stances, I don't know for sure off the top of my head if their beliefs about God or Jesus or the Bible delineate in any major way from quote unquote historical Christianity. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I like that you keep bringing us back there, both in their case and in Bethel's. Like, I guess when I think cult, I don't know if it's just the way it's spoken about in pop culture or, you know, dissected on the latest <laughs> Wondery uh, small miniseries podcast or whatever. But <laughs> when I think of cults, I do think of the more charismatic and almost like, I don't know, pe- people who like really get into magic mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I think of, I don't know, when I think cults, I think really weird, weird stuff, like thinking they're about to be picked up by a UFO uh yeah you know like heaven's gate or something like that i don't know it's just i do tend to think that direction in cult and i appreciate the refocus josh basically saying like it doesn't have like it's i don't know if you're saying cult isn't necessarily bad but it is the word like what it means is to help delineate Mm -hmm. like compared to a different baseline right right like i do think that especially if someone is going to call themselves Christian, I think that they put themselves under the possibility that their Christianity can and should be critiqued by others. Like Westboro Baptist Mm. absolutely should be critiqued, like no Mm -hmm. matter where the critiquer falls on the Christian spectrum. Right. But I think that largely the new religious movements that pop up in America that are Christian adjacent are often trying to do something completely different. Like they're trying that at their heart, they're trying to delineate themselves from mainstream Christianity. And maybe that is the similarity in something like Westboro Baptist Church, because it's like such a small group of people. It's almost just this one family, actually. Right. Most people don't know that. Yep. It's like just this mm-hmm. one family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to like sequester themselves away and act like they are the only remnant that like has the correct beliefs. And that to me seems more typical of a new religious movement. So maybe there is an argument to be made for Westboro Baptist. Maybe. Emily, have you ever gotten the question as a pastor or as someone in seminary about Christianity being a cult or like what makes Christianity different from a cult? Um, sort of. And it's funny why they ask me because I have no knowledge really. But oftentimes <laughs> you'll hear you'll hear a lot at least around here where I am currently. Um, and even growing up too, Alex has my husband and I have actually had this conversation. Seeing the Catholic Church as a cult. And oh. I think part of it is because of how ritualistic it is mm. and the elements that the Catholic Church has that other churches and denominations sort of don't hold up to snuff all the time. So like the Methodist Church Yes, we have like communion and we have, you know, doxologies and things that we do, but we're not as hardcore and intense about it as the Catholic Church. And I remember when my husband came with me for a sociology class, I had to go sit and observe other religious institutions. So I chose a Catholic service, partially because I was comfortable around them with my mom growing up as a Catholic. Um, So she had shared with me her insight and her faith background. So I remember attending the service and, you know, we're kneeling and we're singing and Alex wanted to get up to do communion. I'm like, nope, we can't do communion. And he was so confused. And I remember leaving, going to the car and he turned to me and said, that was very cult like, like, are they a cult? Is the Catholic Church a cult? And I kind of laughed. But in hindsight, thinking back, that's a valid question that I'm sure some people who are outside of churches ask. Mm. I think people who are not involved in religious institutions, Christian or not, probably look at the church and ask, is this a cult? Because we do have some elements, and I don't know if theology would be the word, but we do have some elements that I think kind of come across as cult-like. So. I would, I don't really know what my answer would be if someone were to ask, hey, is Cody Nine Methodist Church a cult? So I would say, <laughs> no, uh, we're not. But I'm sure there would be some people on the outside looking in being like, wow, there are some things that are going on that seem 
kind of cult-like. There's some ritualistic things. There's a very charismatic leader. There's, you know, and the list could go on and on. So I think it's interesting that we as people, as clergy, I should say, have a job to do to look at other institutions and to question, are they a cult? And to examine for ourselves, are we kind of falling into a pattern where we're not really in line with Christianity or or things of that nature? So it's it's interesting. I like that you brought up the point that people outside of an institution can often have the perception that something specific within a group seems culty for some reason, mm-hmm. like whether it's a ritual or something. Where do you think that that like, preconceived notion comes from? Because when I think of yeah. cult stereotypes, I don't think of things like we're all singing together. I think of things like forced suicide and drug-induced orgies. And like I just think of like crazy, crazy extremes of like famous cases. I think part of it has to do with, one, what we are teaching about cults and the history of cults and pop culture. Like, I think pop culture especially, you see it... Um, There's one episode of Family Guy in particular where Meg thought she was joining a new youth group and it turned out to be a cult and they (laughs) wanted her they wanted her to like wear the robe and like she was going to drink the Kool-Aid and all this. Um, But it came across as she was joining this new church youth group that someone in her school was inviting her to. And so I think a lot of it is pop culture and what we are actually teaching and the history behind cults. It's played off as, oh, we all wear these robes and we we chant and we have these elements of whether it's, you know, signing your name in blood or you're drinking the Kool-Aid. So I think for someone who is to come to a church service and, you know, I would think the Catholic Church or the Episcopal Church who also does this where they share a cup at communion. I'm sure sitting in the pew, they would be like, wow, there are some elements here that look kind of familiar to other elements that I have seen in pop culture that point to cults or cult culture. I almost wonder if people are more likely to have that critique when they are not familiar already with religious behavior. Probably. And they're they're just like more likely to label something that is religious in nature as cult-like. Is it just something, all the examples you guys are using, it's when somebody says something else is a cult, it almost just betrays that they're uncomfortable with something. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Is is anyone when they levy an accusation of being of the Catholic Church being a cult? Are they just uncomfortable with aspects of it? And, you know, cult has become such a big umbrella term or category that you just like start lumping everything that makes you uncomfortable under it. Mm, I think that's very valid. Yeah, I think that does sound right. The more I think about that, I think so. Josh, will you remind us of, I don't know, maybe the, the sociological definition of a cult? Kind of, kind of, yeah, kind of the um, reasons you gave on TikTok to the, the one girl talking about In-N-Out Burger being a cult. Right. Short breakdown. It must be religious in nature. It is most likely new, which is why a lot of sociologists use the term new religious movement instead of cult, especially because of like all the baggage that people have with the word cult. Like there's so many preconceived notions of that word. Right. And what that refers to. Mm -hmm. It also does tend to borrow a lot from other religious or spiritual structures in place. I think that that's, to me, the biggest complication of like, what is Christianity's relationship to cults and like how do you vet whether or not something that uses christian language is a new religious movement is because so many of them do try to like borrow language and concepts but often they use them in a way that has a completely different meaning or like they mm. act like they are i th- i think a lot of groups and to be fair christians do this too will like use jesus as like the selling point hmm. for being a part of a group like oh no like all we're here for is jesus like we're just all about jesus but the buy-in is super, super vague. And then like only over time do you realize like that the the way that they recognize and venerate Jesus is really different from how other Christians view Jesus. Like for instance, um, I was just listening to a bonus episode from, oh shoot, what is it called? It's like a conspiracy podcast. Oh, Conspirituality. It's called Conspirituality. Mm. And 
it was like a they were playing this like bonus footage from some like self-proclaimed western spiritual guru and the guy in the clip was talking about how there's been all of these avatars of ultimate spirituality like Gautama and Krishna and Jesus and like I'm the first westerner one and I find that a lot of Whoa. new religious movements from what I've studied and this might have been more common in the 70s but it tends to borrow from like lots of different spiritual traditions and tries to make this like interesting religious universal claim but not in like a all roads are leading to the same place thing it's more like a see like all of these things that came before we are the final one hmm and that's i think that that's why we see a lot of groups especially in america that like proclaim a a final messiah or that someone is like the second coming of jesus or they like reinterpret the second coming thing and they're like Jesus was actually like the fourth coming of this person. Like he was the fourth reincarnation and like we are the fifth. Whoa. And they do this like really interesting, like convoluted reinterpretation of what the majority of Christians throughout history have actually believed. Hmm. Hmm. You know what I mean? And I wonder if that's why cult as a category makes Christians so uncomfortable because how it seems to often get tied to any fears we have around end times theology oh yeah you know oh, right yeah i didn't even think of that wait say more about that what are you trying to tie together well that's that's just where my m- mind went like if someone is trying to claim that they're the the final incarnation of the messiah or something i think a christian is right to be skeptical of that but if they were raised with such a robustly mm, i don't know magical view of like the rapture and end times and eschatology you know if they if they grew up reading the left behind series <laughs> uh, they might mm-hmm. be predisposed to be ultra uncomfortable with any with any new religious movement that tries to offer a claim about their leader or about their group or about what access they have to truth or something hmm have you guys heard about the Christian counter cult movement? No. No. I was just looking up because it kind of sparked my interest a little bit. It, it was something that was started in the 1940s. It was, it's, it's really interesting. It's just kind of reading into it. I'm wondering, are we still in this counter cult movement or are we looking mm. more at a secular anti-cult or counter-cult movement oh interesting um as in like do you think christians are more likely to be against the idea of a cult or a new religious movement or you think non-religious people are is that kind of what you're asking yeah oh i don't know because like steven as you were just talking i was thinking about how i think even within christianity christians regardless of like where they fall denominationally or politically, I think there tends to be people calling each other cults or not Christian or whatever, like like just over issues. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to do that for a group that is super obsessed with eschatology. Mm-hmm. And maybe because there have been so many new religious movements that were millennial, oh, I can never say this word, millennialian. Like they were super focused on like Jesus's coming rain and like super interpreting revelation yeah and so maybe that's why it's really easy to write off quote-unquote those christians oh yeah or so fitting that we're talking about this on the ascension (laughs) that's what today when uh, when we're recording this i should say is the day we celebrate it is yeah that's funny i think ascension day was on (laughs) thursday but this is the church so we celebrate it on Mm -hmm. yeah Pretty wild. But I also feel like I see it happen the other direction, too. Like, I see progressive Christians attacked for, like, being not Christians and, like, trying to make something out of Christianity that it's not. And I feel like even if someone's not using the word cult, I just see that accusation thrown around all the time. Like, on our Instagram this week, I got that a little bit. Like, Well, and that's... Oh, say more. And, but that's what I mean, is, like, it, it's cult is just something levied against anything that makes us uncomfortable anymore. And I... Uh, we've lost the meaning of the word if everything is a cult except our thing, you know? Yeah, which that 
I would argue more than anything <laughs> is more similar to a behavior in a new religious movement than anything else. <laughs> like if you oh, act like fact. you're the only one. <laughs> the fact that you are the one accusing everything else of being a cult. <laughs> yes, actually, that's like the most common <laughs> really? stereotype between every new religious movement that's ever existed. Oh, okay. Okay. Bring us back to Instagram. I want to know what happened. I haven't been paying attention very well this weekend. Uh, you don't have to relitigate the whole thing. Uh, yeah, just... how to how to summarize it? I guess to summarize it, like we got this commenter that started engaging in comments and just started like going down rabbit holes. We weren't even like really having a discussion, but this commenter just started like latching on to like one or two words that were said and like turning it into an argument. From my perspective, okay. And I was talking to some people about it, and like someone brought up that it's it is a very different perspective to be curious about your faith and how to make sense of it and versus like thinking that you have everything figured out and there's only one way to believe. And if someone is not on board with those things, then they are not a Christian. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like actually my, my roommate had a really good line. He, he said something like it is different to like love and be interested in Christianity in the same way that a pianist is interested in piano. Like, Oh, like an artist oh. will like current constantly be like learning about it and refining and growing in what they do. Mm. And like to have that kind of mindset about your beliefs and your faith is really different than a piano player who just like memorizes the scales and acts like that's all there is to it. Acts like he's a musician then. Wow. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting point of view and I really liked that. So I think that's kind of relevant here. That's very interesting. What do you think is the connection where, what is happening? Do you think in maybe a, maybe in sociological terms or psychological terms between, I don't know, cult-like behavior, cult-like thinking and someone's aptitude or proneness to like conspiracy theories? Oh, I don't know. What do you think? Cause I, well, cause I, I feel like a lot of even like modern conspiracy theories almost become new religious movements on their own. If they pick up enough steam, they pick up enough people like buying in somehow. I feel like QAnon is a pretty good example of that. Mm -hmm. mm. I don't know. Based on the numbers I've seen, like there was quite a bit of like evangelical to tangentially evangelical Christians kind of literally gathering under the Q banner for a while. And I do. I just can't understand that. I don't know why. Okay, I have a thought. Yeah. I think I have a response. Okay. Oh, um, Josh. I think it definitely depends on the context in which something is happening. For instance, it's not like a bunch of fundamentalist Mormons are like also hollow earth believers. Mm. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't have any reason to be. There's no vested interest in them being a conspiracy theorist towards just like a crazy geological belief. Okay, sure. Also, point about the evangelical thing. As much as people want to disagree with evangelicalism, evangelicalism, I don't think would ever meet the qualifications of a new religious movement. I definitely I agree. think it would meet. Yes. Okay, okay. So I just wanted to like point that out there. But I do think that it's a great relevant example even though we're a little past it because like we can obviously see that like the majority of QAnon believers also happen to be white evangelical Christians. And that's a really mm. interesting overlap, even though we can't quite tie it together. Like it's not like all white evangelicals in America were QAnon believers. Mm -hmm. Right. But a certain set of people happen to be both. And that that is really interesting to me. I don't really have an answer for it, but um, I kind of see your connecting point there. Like are I do think that there is this unfortunately common perception that people who join new religious movements tend to be more gullible than other people. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember if I mentioned this last episode, but this is like really well documented. The majority of people who join new religious movements, whether it was in the 70s or today, tend to be at least college educated and usually have graduate degrees. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, there's not really a, a consensus on an explanation for that, mm. uh, other than maybe like uh, 
educated people at a certain point, no matter how educated you are, like it still doesn't feed that hunger for spirituality. Mm. Mm. Something like that. Well, and I wonder looking at Stephen, your idea of conspiracy theories, I wonder rather than it being a cult or a new religious movement, if it would just be a fad. Cause there, I feel like there'd be some, and maybe I'm just not watching the news cause I'm tired of seeing all the things on the news, but like, do, how much do we actually hear about QAnon anymore? Oh, oh, nothing anymore. Yeah, like hard. now it's like completely irrelevant. So it's like a fad, really. It was just something that was really popular with a group of people for a short time. And now it's like non-existent. Actually, QAnon. But a- it had the, it had the same popularity or the same feel as a cult. I do think QAnon is a really great example for this discussion because uh, if you're not super familiar with some of Q's drops, Q used a lot of very Christian language and used a lot of Bible verses, which could at the very least explain, in my mind, why some of the followers were more likely to be Christian. Mm -hmm. is because there was like Christian-seeming language and themes Mm. to latch on to. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the time, honestly, it's just a marketing thing. And sometimes it is hard to tell the difference if something is using language and concepts as a marketing thing to latch on to, or if it's actually representative of what the group believes. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous, then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. Also, I have not forgotten about the cocktail I need to invent, inspired by the uninspiring Joe Biden, which... A very milk toast man, absolutely. Which, after, I think it was Alex, suggested <laughs> that it should involve Sprite and bananas in some capacity. Warm Sprite and bananas. <laughs> Is that the cocktail though? Like you don't even need alcohol. You just like <laughs> just warm, <laughs> just warm spread and bananas. I can just see Biden at his next uh, speak speech <laughs> talking about being a kid. And he's like, I remember going down to the soda store and getting warm sprite and bananas. <laughs> okay, here's the here's the drink. Okay, it's just it's warm flat sprite <laughs> with with hand mushed banana <laughs> and I, I i did determine that it will be called a malarkey and now back to the conversation what do you think about a church oh man how should i ask this question what are your thoughts on how a church should display its beliefs and which beliefs it should display. Hmm. Because I see that as like some of the problem of a new religious movement. Like often groups are trying to like recruit people and like be kind of vague and like use language they're familiar with, but not tell them everything. Like Scientology is really infamous for that. Oh, yeah. But churches do it too, to be honest. Yes, I would agree, unfortunately. (laughs) So like what... In my mind, that's a problem that could be fixed, whether or not a group is a new religious movement or a part of Christianity. It's also mm-hmm. interesting that like a group like Scientology and, you know, some popular churches in America right now, they kind of hook you on the angle of like almost like a self-improvement kind of like that's the marketing oh, yeah. play, right? Is like, yeah, we'll make your life better somehow. We'll teach you good habits like 
And sometimes like an entire sermon is literally about why you should make your bed. Like, (laughs) it's like, why am I listening to a sermon on this? I could listen to a podcast at any time. Like, I'm not here. It's basically a self-help book, but it's played out live action. Yeah. And very often, and very often, like cult leaders do the same thing. They kind of get you in on that. I don't know if it's like a certain type of person who is susceptible to it. And we kind of already addressed the gullibleness of cult members. Maybe it's something just about just a desire to belong. And you start getting that, mm. you know, that feeling of connection with both the leader and the other people in the group, which a church certainly does. And if we were only defining a, a cult like that, it would be pretty sticky to try and not define any church as a cult just because it does offer belonging. It does offer a place where you can feel safe to gather once a week and have conversations with Hopefully. people that think like you, act like you, believe like you, you know, you're going to eat the eat the same cheap grocery store donuts. With a cup of coffee. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, but I would argue that that's more indicative of a religious element sure, than it is sure. a behavior that's necessarily mm-hmm. pertaining to a new religious but movement. Even, but even the creepy crawly new, new religious movements, like the stories I've heard, even tangentially, have been like, yeah, it just seemed like a bunch of us like getting together who wanted to like work out or, you know, that this guy had a thing, you know, he was selling his book or whatever, and we all liked the book enough to, like, pay for a retreat with him or something. I don't have any specifics in mind, but, like, like, these are my opinions of cults, and Mm -hmm. very often it seems like it starts with kind of a self-help, like, this is how you will find, like, self-actualization in some way or, you know, improve your life in some meaningful way, and then things start getting creepier and creepier from there i feel like there has to be a line that's drawn because and i'm not saying i would do this but i as an example you know there are groups so like getting together to like work out is one thing you know but what about a group getting together for axe throwing you know they're improving a skill but it's a chance for them to get out to socialize to to maybe have less social anxiety. Like, so where do we draw the yeah, line I mean, with just regular I'm, activity? I'm definitely overgeneralizing based on a lack of education and honestly, just like much interest in cults. Like I do not listen to it, follow it like you guys do. So I'm certainly overgeneralizing. Um, but I guess, Josh, to answer your original question, like how should a church display their beliefs like my first thought went to some like some of those marketing things that sometimes seem to correlate to a lot of uh strategies employed by new religious movement leaders. I think it's also worth pointing out that those strategies are also just used by businesses. Like in the back yes. of my mind, Correct. I've been thinking of Apple this entire time. Oh, like Apple yeah. absolutely gives me a sense of belonging. There is financial buy-in, like you have to spend a lot of money to be mm-hmm. a part of the Apple ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And it, there's totally this like veneration social status symptom of being an Apple buyer. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. Oh, you know that feeling when the last person in your group chat finally gets an iPhone and then it goes to blue chat, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Love that feeling. <laughs> oh, amen. Uh, right i feel like that's a yeah yeah no it's very real it's very real they're very brilliant at their marketing right but what they're not doing is controlling our daily lives and what we're thinking about like they're selling a product that is to aid our daily life and whatever we do yeah and that is really different from Mm. a group that is trying to control your ideas about the world uh, what kind of information you consume you could argue that some companies are doing things like that but Many argue that for Twitter. In my opinion, like that. Right. Yeah. Mm. But like they're not religious in nature. You're not like showing up once a week and like only spending time with a certain group of people. <laughs> yeah. So hey, I think it has to be know. like. Jack could be conducting seances every Saturday. Like <laughs> we have no idea. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> That's funny. Sorry. That is not. Okay. Not liable for. <laughs> <laughs> it was a joke. Satire. Something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, so is, is your question, how should any church display their belief or how should a healthy church? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming back to that. Um, 
Because, like, I've been of the opinion for quite a while now, like, years, that I think it's perfectly okay, generally, to be a part of a church that you do not completely agree with. But to me, that begs the question of, like, well, how much should the church, like, have as its official beliefs, and how much should it have open to discernment and individuals Mm. to buy into on their own? That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. That is a question for the ages, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, And like, if we were more honest about a church being open about its beliefs in general, like, would we avoid these pitfalls of these new religious movements that people get caught up in and end up harming quite a few people? You would hope, but I mean, really, you would, a church would have to start that in order to really get a sense of that. That is a a guinea pig church. Man, that is a, but that, that is a really curious question because now, in terms of marketing, like, a good marketing strategy has basically an avatar in mind. Like a, a good marketing team hyper defines like the ideal person that should be listening to their p- podcast or buying their product, you know, using this type of window cleaner versus that. Like marketing teams actually think about like demographics, psychographics, all that kind of stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. in America now, at least it seems like the marketing strategy to any church is basically get literally anyone in the door. And like that Mm -hmm. scattershot approach becomes very much like we have to, I don't know, water things down. That sounds so cliche to say, but like we have to mask so many of our specific beliefs under something that's just vague enough to get anyone in the door. Like I know there's an element of, you know, this church down the street is excited if an unchurched person goes to a different church from them. But at the same time, I know it's it's hard to not go into a church and like go into a mega church and see their huge auditorium and their 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 bands and their welcome team and the big coffee bar they have or their bookshop and be like it feels like they're trying to be an active competition against the other churches in the city. Mm-hmm. But if we all got more specific about the types of people we wanted in our church, like if we were, I don't know, if if a church was in tune enough with the specific theologies that tend to attract certain types of people, I don't know that I don't even that starts feeling icky to mm. be like, yeah, I see what you're you know? saying. But like if a church was honest about like the types of people they wanted, nah. I'm going to go back on that. That like there's there's no clean way of a church doing that without getting like it, it feeling really slimy, you know? Yeah. I think You know, hmm, well, I was going to say I think what would help is if churches stop being concerned with who should be coming through the door. And that's that again. That's like Pastor Emily full Yeah. Full That's pulpit, what I want, though. You know, Pastor I'm Emily, on... go preach it for a sec. So, well, so even just thinking today of like my sermon and what I was telling my church of like, hey, y'all are great people, and I love that you come and sit in the pews every week. But I want to see you as Cody United Methodist Church out in the community. So I don't want you to fuss about who are we bringing through the door. If families are coming, if young people are coming, don't worry about that. Go be part of the community of Cody. Go help out in the schools. Go help out at Cody Covered. Go volunteer. Go do your jobs, your everyday life. And people will see, oh, like you go to this church and you go to the same church and you also go to that church. You all have like nothing in common except that you're great, decent people and you just have a heart for serving and a heart for wanting to do like this particular mission. And I have a heart for doing this particular mission. Maybe I'll attend this church. Like we do not have to sell Jesus. <laughs> like mm. that's, that, you know what I mean? Like we don't have to sell Jesus. Like God is already at work. You just have to live your life. Like just be who you are. And that sounds so cliche and I totally get that. And if you have beef with me about it, please let me know. But I'm, I think that's the problem with the church. Like today, we were meeting about having a mental counseling center based out of our church. And, you know, we're looking at the business side of it and we're looking at the safety side of it. And at the end of the day, everyone was like, you know what? We are huge advocates for mental health. If this is a service that we can help provide where people can get discounted or no cost 
mental health professionals helping them, then let's do it. Let's see where this goes. And that right there is just a foot in the door for people to say, hey, these people care about mental health. This is a church that I would like to go to. We're not selling this idea of it, though. We're we're literally just participating and we don't have to be flashy about it. It just is what it is. Mm, it's almost like you are taking seriously Jesus's words to go out, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Oh. Yeah, but you're also using it, to be fair, I feel like there's also this air of marketing about it. But it does come from like a place of authenticity. Yeah, that's the thing. It's marketing the sense of like, hey, we're offering this. It's not like, hey, we're offering this. Come be a part of our church. Mm. And you get this this cute little gift and like you'll be a part of this club. It's like, no, just if you want to come, come. If you don't, there's other churches around the corner. There's at least 15 churches in Cody. You don't like this one. Go find another one. That's completely okay. Well, and I like that you brought up the like the mental health example too, because I think that for some people like hearing that a church cares about an issue, even if it's not necessarily like a quote unquote doctrinal or belief thing, but right that the church is aware of and values solving a certain problem can be like a life or death situation for some people. Like, Oh, absolutely. Like by communicating a certain thing, like it will communicate to some people that like they will be safe there mm-hmm. as a person. Which is why, I mean, like even a, a website like um, Church Clarity, Church Clarity, Church Clarity, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. is is yeah. okay. But what if there was people. Church Clarity, but for everything, would that solve anything? No, I think it would. Oh, that I think it would make it worse. You think so? If I could, okay. If I had a website that was basically like I go and filter my stats, I'm like I want them to be predominantly Christian Universalist, maybe like. <laughs> I want them to be open theists like me. Like, I don't know if we were all just looking for the church that would perfectly satisfy our preconceptions or our, even our new conceptions. Like uh, some of those theologies are even new to me, but like, to be honest, I don't know if I should be seeking a church that's exactly like me mm. or that. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah. So like kind of, kind of back to what you were saying, Josh is like, it's not a bad thing to go to a church that you disagree with on a few things but when it comes to church clarity and whether a church is lgbtq for affirming or not like that, that that's a very real example of like flesh and blood people not feeling welcome based on their orientation or their identity in some way that like the entire church it might feel like the entire church is literally like why is this person why is this samaritan here you know or like with the Westboro Baptist example that you brought up earlier, like there are some churches out there that would be physically unsafe for some people to yes. attend, whether it's a sure. virtue of race or sexual identity, anything. Um, but Stephen, I hear what you're saying about like, I, I'm not convinced either that we should find a group of people that completely align with us because if the rest of my life is anything like the last six years of my life, I think that my beliefs will constantly be dynamic. Totally, totally. And like, I should expect faith change in the future. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I will be an atheist someday. Maybe. I don't know. And I, so I, I agree that we shouldn't necessarily look for a group of people who believe exactly the same things we do, but I feel like there is a lot of value in finding a group of people. Maybe I'm just, maybe this is on my mind because I'm craving this right now. Finding a group of people who value the same process that you do, like finding the group of people that view their faith, like learning piano. Mm. Oh, what a good, but and still having an it. individual way of saying that. I love yeah. that. And that, that, I mean, to me, regardless of the theology that the church has in their, you know, their charter or whatever, like, it sounds like you're just describing a healthy church. <laughs> Which is hard to, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you so. Know? But do you think that a church even needs to outline as much as they, I feel like there's two extremes, right? Like there's some churches that like say almost nothing about what they believe. And to be honest, a lot of new religious movements do that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think a fair amount of churches do too. But then there's the other extreme where churches line out like literally everything. Like we do not affirm seven day creationism and we are... Uh, disaffirming of women pastors, they like literally lay out every issue imaginable. Right. 
yeah. which mm. is hyper defined. But I don't know. I don't know what the middle would be. Mm. Like, what would you do? I don't know what I would do. Because I mean, like, I mean, so Emily's a pastor. So Josh, you and I are the ones struggling with this. Is like, you know, we're vaccinated. It's possible that we could start going back to church pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what is it? What are we looking for exactly? I don't know. I personally, if I was going to be, you know, at the risk of being oversimplistic, I want a church that celebrates and recognizes Eucharist every Sunday and that is meaningfully LGBTQ affirming so that my wife can feel like she has a place at the table. Mm-hmm. What if it was openly open to discernment about the issue? I think my wife is an incredibly wise person that would be open to that, but I would want to follow her guidance on that. Mm. As someone who is like literally affected by someone else's theology. Yeah, right. Like her, her bisexuality that I learned about less than a year ago, but that has been true about her, her entire life that she's known of, um, is nothing new to her. But because it's new to me and new to our community, um, yeah, I would I would follow her guidance and almost like trust her gut mm-hmm. in bringing us to a place where we could go to church and celebrate Eucharist. You know, because like I don't know, there's something. Uh, this is this is me going into the uh, hyper mystical language about the Eucharist, but there's something so equalizing about taking communion every week that. Um, it, it's humanizing in a way that even if we don't have the same theologies that we can be in community. So I would be, I would be open to a church that was willing to be open and discerning to members of the LGBTQ community. But because my wife is part of that, I would want to follow her lead, you know? Mm-hmm. What about you, Josh? I don't know. I think it's harder for me to, draw a line personally other than like feeling it out in the moment like for a while in my last church I was really comfortable with going to a church that I knew I disagreed with some of the parts of the belief statement of the church Mm -hmm. but I felt comfortable as someone who like wasn't going to become a member like Mm -hmm. attending and being regularly involved in that group of people Um, and maybe it's because I feel like a church group doesn't necessarily need to like lay out all of those beliefs and like have people assent to them. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I do think it's reasonable to ask for or be honest and clarifying about what the intention of the group is in propagating a belief of. For instance, like I don't think it would be as much as I think I could go to a church that I am not completely on the same page with. I don't like I wouldn't go to that love his one group. Like, and I obviously disagree with like tons of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, obviously the line is somewhere. Right. Um, And maybe it's just like a case by case basis. And like me determining what I need for me at a certain point in my faith or what avenues of Christianity I want to explore. Sure. That's kind of how I feel about it, I guess. Interesting. What about you, Emily? (laughs) Like, how do you clarify to like, because you're obviously in a pastoral position. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe this just hasn't happened yet, but like, how would you clarify to someone who is like, what does the church believe versus like, do I have to believe this thing to be a part of the church? Mm. Like, that's just a big, mm -hmm. I feel like that's a huge conversation and not enough people talk about that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think because they're uncomfortable talking about it. And I think there's a level of vulnerability that is at play when we discuss the things that we believe and the things we don't believe and the things that we want to believe but don't necessarily live by. Um, And it's interesting because I'm in a situation where I am representing both a global church that is right now facing Mm. a split, but also a local church community. Like Cody United Methodist Church is a part of the Methodist Church, but they have culturally... Things that they identify as being important that the Methodist Church in Laurel may not agree with. And that's just because of where they are contextually. 
Mm. So it's a very interesting situation. And I think we have a lot of discernment. I think as a church in general, we have a lot of discernment as far as what we want to believe and what we want to stand for moving forward. And that's a conversation that many people are not ready to Mm. have. They want things to stay the same. They are not happy with the split on both sides. And they just want thing, they just want Cody UMC to be left alone. They don't want to be touched in any way. They don't like change. Mm. And that makes me sad because change needs to happen in a church. You have a new pastor, however many years, you know, you have people who are hired and then retired. You have people who live and who die in the church. Like the change is inevitable. So you can't Mm. say you're uncomfortable with change when it's already happening with or without you. Um, So this is just one that I think my work as a pastor is to help guide people in finding out, A, what they believe, B, is it in line with the UMC or this church, Um, and if it's not, to help find a place for them. Or to guide them in a way where they're comfortable with discernment and being challenged. And, you know, yes, I am a UMC pastor, but I'm a pastor. Like, I'm going to help out anyone. If I had someone come to the door and say, hey, I'm an Episcopalian, and I could be like, hey, there's an Episcopal church here. uh, But if you feel more comfortable talking to me about whatever the issue is, so be it. I'm not going to turn you away just because you aren't a member. Um, I think there's, there's a lot. That happens with finding the right place, finding a good pastor, finding whatever institution it is that's going to provide the things that you need. But there's also a level of what are the things that I am willing to grow and to expand on? And is this an environment that can do that? I like that answer. Forgive the the naivety of the question, Emily, but I'm curious if you lend any more weight to Cody. United Methodist versus the global organization that it happens to be a part of. And I don't know if you're allowed to say, but I've I've always been curious about like how you weigh the the influence of the people that you preach in front of every week mm. versus what could be interpreted and could be explained as kind of a disconnected leadership structure. Yeah. The only thing I guess I feel comfortable saying is it's a balancing act because while I am hired and employed by Code United Methodist Church, I am hired and I get paid by the United Methodist Church at the same time. Like it's, you know what I mean? So it's, I have to be. I have to be connected globally. I have to be aware of what is happening as Church Universal, that is United Methodist Church. But I also have to take what's happening in Cody and find a balance. And there's there's a tipping Mm. constantly. And there's always going to be one side that's going to drop and another that's going to drop. But at the end of the day, I have to really try to maintain a balance as much as possible because we claim to be part of this denomination. So while, yes, contextually, there are things that we value and that are important, we are not Cody something other. We are Cody United Methodist Church, which means we have things in line with the global United Methodist uh, Church. Yeah, right. So we can't just have our sole values go above the whole denomination. We have to find a way to have them intertwined healthily and a way that's still authentic to who we are, but also authentic to the message of the church globally. I appreciate that. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know why I was reminded of this right now, but there is a part of me that super respects how Protestant the whole concept of a new religious movement even is. So to all of you uh, <laughs> Protestant-y cults out there, here's here's to you, sticking it to the man. That's right. And the man not telling you what to believe. That's pretty oh, funny. gosh. You good Protestants, you. Good to pay attention to. <laughs> well done. Um, I don't know. I don't think I have any new thoughts about this. Uh, thanks for talking about cults with me. It was kind of fun to go back to it. I'm not it sure we came fun. to any like crazy epiphanies about 
this issue, but. I think it's one that we're going to keep diving into, you know, it's one we're raveling out together. Mm. Yeah, true. Very curious. Any closing thoughts? I just want to say thanks again to our new friend, Jenny, for joining our Patreon group. Glad to see you in Discord, too. Yeah. I like that little community we have in Discord. It's been a good time these last few weeks. Yeah, it's a nice little cult we got going on. Here we go. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Cheers. Emily, do you have uh, a word for us as we close out here? I might. Let's see. Whether it's a cult, a new religious movement, whatever you label it, we are discerning together. We're processing the ideals, the theologies, the beliefs that tie us all together and finding ways to live in healthy and authentic relationship as institutions, as communities, and as individuals. Just be careful if you are going to drink the Kool-Aid. I love that. Yes. Cheers with my Kool-Aid, friends. Just be careful. You can drink it, but just be careful. (laughs) Nice. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Every episode, we pair a new and delicious cocktail with a roundtable discussion about philosophy, politics, or current events. Whether we're tackling the January 6th Capitol riots or Twitter's censorship faux pas, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our world. Or we discuss the unanswerable philosophical questions like if mankind is fundamentally good or evil. And I discover I might be a communist. So follow the Whiskey Bench if you're into questions like these. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.